So we are, we're in our last, the last week of our current ser sermon series called I Believe, where we've been kind of taking a look at the Apostles' Creed and taking line by line, what exactly does all this mean? And, and more importantly, how does it point us back to Scripture? How does it point it back to the Gospel? How does it point us back to Jesus? And so I was, I was second up to bat when we kicked off this series. I was a second batter, and now I get to close, right? So I'm the, I'm the closer. Now, the Craig, Craig, Crim, Crim, <clears throat> anyway, they need pitching help, so it doesn't matter. The Red Sox. Pray for the Red Sox, right? So the scripture that we just read, that David so eloquently read, is a great, I guess I'd call it a how-to guide, how-to guide, for eternal life. Now, when I was assigned this text, I was assigned the last line, kind of, of the Apostles' Creed. Take a look at that and, and use this scripture. And so the last line of the Apostles' Creed is, is um, that we believe in, that we believe, uh, hope in uh, life everlasting, amen. So life everlasting, amen, is the very last line of the Apostles' Creed. And so, Pastor J.P., said this is the scripture suggestion. I took a look at it. So the past two, three weeks now, when I was first assigned, when I first sat down to prepare today's sermon, I struggled. I had a really, really hard time. And even Gigi can tell you how much I struggled just going back and forth and really kind of wrestling with, with scripture. And what is, what is God telling me? And how do I project this? How do I communicate this? So it's been really, really hard. Interestingly, fun fact, okay, this is the very same scripture passage that I was assigned in my very first sermon 12 years ago, 2004. The very same scripture passage. So here I am, 12 years later, with the same text. Now, 12 years ago, I had no Bible college, I had no training. I had no theological training, nothing like that. I had no clue as to how to sit down and prepare, even deliver a sermon, let alone uh, not even just a sermon, but even in public speaking. So I remember I was two months, two months before uh, this youth service I was supposed to preach at, and I was freaking out. So I went to my youth pastor, and, and he gave me some pointers. But here I am, 12 years later, same scripture, but I'm struggling with it way more than I did 12 years ago. Same text, but this time with completely different preparation. Got a degree, right? Big wig now. Got a suit. That doesn't match. <clears throat> um, the elephant in the room has been addressed, folks. <laughs> More, more resources. I've got more resources. I've got more experience to draw from, more of life's experiences. But it's just, it's a, so it's a totally different approach to the same text 12 years ago. But I've struggled with it, again, way more than I did 12 years ago in 2004. So much so, I've struggled with this text so much so that I've, I've got nothing for you this morning. <laughs> just kidding. Some people had a nervous laugh, like, <laughs> serious? We can actually go and play bingo. Um, so 
What I don't have for you this morning is I don't have a three-point sermon, so that's kind of how we do things around here. That's how you're trained as a preacher, three points, one big idea, three points, and then kind of unpack that a little bit. I just have one point this morning. And so usually the preacher, how we do things here is we give you the three points ahead of time so that, you know, in case you fall asleep, at least you, you get the three points or whatever, right? Um, and then we, we mention the three points, the big idea, and then we pray, and then we unpack it throughout the rest of the service. But again, I only have one point for you this morning, and I'm not going to give it to you. That means, that's right, John Sanderson. That's right, folks. I just made eye contact with him, so I apologize. That's right, you're going to have to pay attention for the whole sermon. Good luck with that. So... I'm not going to reveal it until later, so you got to have to pay attention. So let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you are for this beautiful day. And God, I, I just pray that uh, today, that your word, as, as, it usually is, as it does, it will not return void, and that it penetrates the hearts, the minds, our, our souls. In Jesus' name, speak to and through me this morning. Amen. So my struggle with this text that I was given today that we read isn't because the text itself is confusing, but because there's, there's so much in this text, in this scripture, in this passage. There is so much. It's so rich with information and, and points and theological points and insights. It's, it's amazing. I can preach or anybody can preach a totally different message. You can preach about the way Nicodemus approached Jesus. You know, it was at nighttime. Why did he go at nighttime? Was he embarrassed or ashamed? You know, because he was a Pharisee, did he go because he just, something stirred him overnight, the Holy Spirit, you know, stirred him up, couldn't sleep, and so he went. Or was it just the way things were done back then? You converse and dialogue about the Bible at nighttime. We don't know. We can preach, I can preach about that. I can preach about eternal life and what does that mean? I can preach about faith, about doubt, about hope, rebirth, and so on and so on. But as this day approached... I grew more and more frustrated because I had information over and over. And so I, I'm like, what? what is my big idea, Lord? What do I preach about? Where am I going? It seemed like kind of like a maze where I'm going through and I would hit a dead end and hit a dead end here. And the day's approaching and I'm the kind of person that I would like to have my stuff prepared at least a, a week to a week and a half in advance. And, and it's, I kid you not, it is Thursday now and I'm preaching in three days and I'm like, oh, God, like, I spent a lot of time in prayer, like, I'm starting to freak out a little bit here, God. I've got all this information, but I'm hitting roadblocks. And I, what do I preach about? What are my three points? You know, uh, where do I start? What is my big idea, my bottom line? All these questions. Are, are the Red Sox going to get some pitching, right? Is Kevin Durant going to sign with the Celtics? I don't know. I have all these questions. And how do I start? And this is especially frustrating for me because I preach here in the sanctuary maybe maybe once or twice a year. You know, I'm usually across the street, by the way, with the students at 9 and 1045 for middle school and high school. So I, I, I have this kind of sense of urgency, you know? So I want to impress the bosses. <laughs> Just kidding. But I have this sense of urgency because I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to have another opportunity, if I'll be invited back. I don't know. Um, so I read this verse in preparation that David read, and I read it 6,279 times in preparation. That's exaggeration. So, and the more I read it, the more I felt 
like our buddy Nicodemus in this story. Confused. They started getting more and more confused. Okay, so let's back up. What do we know about Nick, and why are you comparing yourself to him, Javi? Well, he was a man, he was a Pharisee, and he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. That's what it says uh, in, in the first few lines. In other words, he's a big wig. He's a big deal. You see, Nick, we'll call him Nick, and he was a Jew, so we know that. Nick, as a Jew, grew up with this belief that in order to attain eternal life or life everlasting, you had to either A, be from the, uh, born from the lineage of Abraham, or you kind of earned it. You work yourself into it by becoming a young man, committed, committing his life to the word of God, to teaching it, to preaching it, etc. To the laws and, and the practices of the religion at the time. Now, as a man, as a man, this was a huge commitment, all right? If you don't know what I'm talking about, that's, that's okay. I'll send JP an email and he can explain that. Or parents, you can explain that to your kids. But as a young man, if you wanted to, you had a big commitment. It was physical commitment. For 600 years, this was the practice. This is how things were done. So Nick comes to Jesus at night because in the previous chapter, chapter 2, so we read chapter, um, a lot of uh, chapter 3 of John, the previous chapter, just a few verses before, um, sorry, just the, the chapter before, Jesus performs his first miracle, a lot of us know that, turning water into wine at a wedding, and then he goes on to say some, and then he does some other miracles, and then he speaks with authority, and he he. He turns tables and then he's, he shares this crazy idea at the time, this crazy idea about destroying this temple. A temple that took 46 years to build, a, a holy place. And this messed Nick up so bad that he just had to speak with Jesus face to face. So he approaches him and says, Rabbi, I know you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. Folks, and this is the very next verse right here. This is where I, be I begin to get really stuck and confused or, and <clears throat> intrigued as well. In reply, very next verse, in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No man can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now, if you read that as, a, you know, if you're reading this as a story, you're like, how did we get here? How did things escalate so quickly that all of a sudden you're like, all, okay, so here's Nick approaching Jesus, and he basically affirms Jesus as a teacher. And he proclaims, in, in Javi's words, right, hey man, you, you're from God because no one can do what I've seen you do. That wasn't a question. It was a statement, and it wasn't a negative statement, it was a positive statement, right? Yet Jesus skips this flattery that goes on right here, he skips it, and he cuts straight to the chase, straight to the chase. All of a sudden, so he's like, hey Jesus, no one can do what you've done, you are definitely from God. No one can approach. And it's like, whoa, how did, we, how did that escalate so quickly? Why did Jesus feel the need to jump into this big, bold statement that ends up becoming one of the most famous dialogues in the Bible? How did that happen? Now, as confusing as this was for me, 
I love what Jesus did here. I love what he did. It's kind of like when somebody calls you. Now, you haven't spoken to this person in months or years. Okay? They call you or they text you or send you a nice Facebook message. And it's like, hey, Javi. Hope things are well. Hope Gigi and, and the boys are great. Ha, ha, ha. Everything's golden and peachy over here. Hey, I just want to say I love and appreciate you, man. It's been 12 years since we've last spoken, but I just want to tell you that. Hey, do you have that book that I let you use 12 years ago? I, I kind of want it back. You know what I'm talking about. Somebody, you haven't spoken to them, and then they have all this flattery. They could care less, right? But they're just like, hey, hey, Mark, uh, I just want to say that you, man, I love you, man. I love the way you you are, the way you preach, and you're a swell guy. Sorry I haven't been to church in so long, but uh, hey, do you have that speaker I lent you? You know, that's really what I'm after here. So Jesus basically cuts the flattery and cuts, he's like, cut to the chase, Nick. I know why you're here, dude. Cut to the chase. But then how does, how does Jesus know how to answer the question that wasn't asked and it wasn't even hinted at? How? Well, in the previous chapter, in verse uh, chapter 225, we get a little bit of a hint to that. The very last verse, he, Jesus, did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. That's important for us. Jesus knew what was in each person. He knows the question that you're going to ask before you ask it. He knows what's going on in your mind before you even think it. He knows. And so... Jesus knows. So Nick replies with maybe with doubt. How so? How so? Right? He's confused. Maybe doubt. Maybe confusion. Maybe sarcasm. I don't know. And Jesus goes on to further explain what being born again means, which is, by the way, cut straight to the chase. It's a spiritual rebirth. It's being born of the spirit. And so Jesus mentions to Nick that he shouldn't be surprised by this. He mentions it twice. He's like, you shouldn't be surprised. He said, you're a teacher of the law and you don't get this. And Nick's still like, how can this be? And then he goes on and write. We just read it. He's like, do I enter my mom's womb again? Like, is that sarcasm or real confusion? Bottom line is, it's gross, Nick. Don't even go there, please. So Jesus is like, dude, you have further issues than what I expected. So he's like, dude, you're a religious leader. And you don't understand these things? Really, Nick? But Jesus knows. He knows what's in a man's heart, right? He knows. So what is Jesus doing? So if Jesus knows that Nick either really isn't getting it or he's being sarcastic, he kind of plays along with it. He's basically deconstructing Nick's credentials. He's challenging his religion or his faith. And he is teaching him, get ready, ready? He is teaching Nick, and here's our bottom line, the simplicity of the gospel. The simplicity of the gospel. Whoa. Whoa, wait a minute. What do you mean simplicity? What do you mean the gospel is simple? Don't you know everything, what it entails? And this is not that simple. And here we are led to what many scholars have called the gospel in a nutshell. It's John 3.16. A lot of us here can probably recite it, but it's good to add some context to this. And it says... For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is offensive to Nick. When he hears this, this is offensive. And for us, it's kind of irrational. Let's be honest. 
Remember, Jesus knew what was in a man. We just read it in the verse, in the chapter before. He knew. So wait, so Jesus, you knew, you knew that some people in this world were going to hate you. They're going to despise and reject you and, and, and continue to sin against you and have no intentions of following you. Yet you chose to still die for them. You knew. Those people don't deserve it, Jesus. They don't deserve it. Jesus, those people are vile and they hate everything about you and everything that has to do with you. Jesus, that person has hurt me, has done terrible, horrible things to me. Those people, that group, they've mocked me intentionally. They've ridiculed me. You're telling me that you died for them too? And they can also have eternal life by just believing in you? And now I have to see them in heaven too? Thanks a lot. Jesus, you know how hard I work. You know that I come to, uh, to church and I, every Sunday, every, and, and, and I serve at Kor Unum. And I, I come to church on Sunday and I listen to JP and I listen to Brian preach. Jesus, you know how hard that is. You know how hard that is. And Mandy, you better cut that part out. You may, you know how much I've served you and dedicated my life to following you. But this one can come walking in from the street, late to the service, come straight in from the street and, and, and living in sin, and he or she gets to share in your inheritance too? Yeah. It's really that simple, folks. And this is why I cannot judge Nick, and we cannot judge Nick. Twelve years ago, I had no idea uh, what I was doing when I was going to preach my first sermon. Again, no theological training, no, no schooling, nothing like that. And, and, and when I prepared my very first sermon, I just shared my experiences. I shared my experiences in basking, basking in God's love. I, I approached my youth pastor, and I'm like, what am I doing? It's two years before a big youth service, and he's like, just... Uh, John 3.16, that's the gospel in a nutshell. Everybody knows it, right? Just preach about God's love, agape. Agape means unconditional, and that's it. And I hammered that, and all I had was, was you know, God's, my experience with Jesus, how he transformed my life, how he transformed my family's life, how he rescued my, my father from, from a heroin addiction, and how our family was falling apart but God, right? And so I, I, I shared from that experience, no training, but here I was, three weeks ago, pen and paper, struggling, struggling, digging deep, researching hard, surrounded by a multitude of resources. And yet, man, I was Nicodemus. I was getting more and more confused. Wait, what? Uh, the serpent? And, and uh, I don't understand. I was relying only on my knowledge and my training to grasp the gospel message, because this is the gospel message. Now, side note, side note, I'm not saying that, you know, using commentaries and, and Greek lexicons and studying and researching and that that is bad. But if that's all you rely on, then there's, there's something missing there. Because it's not just about this. It's about all of this. I'll make that more magical for you. It's about all of this. Some people are ready to leave right now. I'm sorry. So, what's my connection with Nick? 
I was a man, I am a man dedicated, that has dedicated my life to the teaching and preaching of his word. But again, three weeks ago, I was relying only on what I had worked so hard toward. 12 years ago, all I had was Jesus. That's it. I relied more on Jesus. So I'm, I guess I'm just confessing to all of you right here that three weeks ago, I, I kind of wasn't. The gospel message folks, it's simple. It's simple. We are the ones that make it complicated. We make it complex. And when we share the gospel message or try to grasp it, it, it uh, grasp it, it's kind of like this video that's about to play and I'm buying time for them to play it here by, by doing this with my hands, right? It's kind of like this video. Rockwell Automation's retro tabulator. Now, basically, the only new principle involved is that instead of power being generated by the relative motion of conductors and fluxes, it's produced by the modial interaction of magneto-reluctance and capacitive directance. The original machine had a base plate of prefabulated amulite surmounted by a malleable logarithmic casing in such a way that the two spurving bearings were in a direct line with a panometric fan. The lineup consisted simply of six hydrocoptic marzal veins, so fitted to the ambifacient lunar wane shaft that side fumbling was effectively prevented. The main winding was of the normal lotus o deltoid type placed in panendermic semi-boloid slots of the stator, every seventh conductor being connected by a non-reversible tremi pipe to the differential girdle spring on the up end of the gram meters. Moreover, whenever fluorescent score motion is required, it may also be employed in conjunction with a drawn reciprocation dingle arm to reduce sinusoidal deplenoration. Amen. <laughs> uh, we have some middle school thinkers in here. They, they heard dingle arm and they're like, <laughs> that's okay, I did that too. All the engineers in the room are like, oh yeah. I like that guy. We make it complicated, don't we? We make it complex when the gospel message is simple. And, and then we, we live our lives like we, 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 as though we can learn, we learn more so that we can try to earn more in life. But not according to the gospel. The gospel message is simple. Regardless of whether you're some saint or you're sinful, the gospel message is simple. Listen to it again, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Belief in Jesus, again, it's not about just this. Here comes the magic, ready? It's about all of this. It's about everything. It's entrusting yourself, entrusting your life to Jesus. Listen, it is about letting go. Here's the big cliche, right? Jesus, take the wheel. But it's true. It's about letting go of that steering wheel of your life and say, Jesus, you have control. You have control. You Letting go of, of, of the, the wheel that navigates toward your destiny, your goals, the direction in your life. And just saying, you know what, Jesus, you set my agenda. You are my GPS. That's complete and wholehearted trust Complete and wholehearted belief. Complete and wholehearted surrender to Jesus. We as Americans, we want to do, do, 
do. Life, our lives are full of uh, agendas and incomplete tasks that we want to check off or scratch off. And then we also live this life of comparison. I'm not as bad as that group of people. I'm not as bad as her. Or, ooh, I'm not, I got to get up to this person's level, goals, achievements. What does success look like? The gospel is not about what you do, do, do. It's about what was done, done, and done for you, for me, for all of us. Will we truly believe? Will we truly surrender our lives over to Jesus? It's, that's, it's that simple. It's hard because we don't want to let go of those comforts in life. We don't want to let go. A couple of weeks ago, Gabriel, my youngest, we, we all went into the pool where we lived. They opened the pool, and it was the first time he had been in a pool since last summer, since last year. So it was his first time this year. And we put the floaties on. He had floaties last year, and he's swimming around. He's fine with it. But this time, he's freaking out. He's free. I don't know what happened in the last 12 months, but he's freaking out. He doesn't want me to let him go. And then when I, I kind of like try to let him go, and then I just let me go, right? I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I'm like, no, you got to let me go, let me go. Then he's like freaking out and he's trying to like stay afloat by himself. And, and he's trying to be perpendicular. And, and he starts to swallow water because, and he's like screaming. And I'm like, buddy, trust the floaty. Just let go. Stop trying to do so much. That's what the floaty's for. As cheesy as that may sound for some of you, as elementary as it is, as like, whoa, you're dumbing this down a little too much for me, Javi. Go back to that video, right? It, as, as sim it's that simple. Just like Gabriel had to let go and trust the floating, we have to let go and trust in Jesus. Sorry if that's way too simple for you, but that's the truth of the gospel. Let go, Gabriel. Trust the floaty. And once he did that, an hour and a half later, I'm like, get out of the pool already. <laughs> Having way too much fun. Trust in Jesus. Let go. And you may find yourself similar to Nick and I, you may, you've probably been seeking, you've been searching, navigating your way through life's, through your faith journey, your religion, your walk with God, whatever you want to call it. You've been navigating your way through it. And you find yourself stuck in a rut, not going anywhere, feeling kind of blah. Right? Oh, that's, yeah, yeah, another church day, another church service. But let me point you back to the cross. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And guess what? Eternal life is, doesn't begin the moment that you die. Eternal life begins now. It begins now. Your eternal life, if you've accepted, received Jesus in your heart, then your eternal life has already begun. It's not after you're dead. It's now. So, Bask in his love. I did that 12 years ago. I sometimes forget to do that because I rely on this too much. And I just say, man, God, how, how you love me. How you love me. And then my and in my head, and maybe you can resonate, I'm just like, man, I don't deserve. And then I start going into this, oh, I don't deserve your love. I'm so horrible, and I'm beating myself up. And I'm like, you know, and to the point, to the point that I'm like, oh, man, I shouldn't even, I'm such a hypocrite. I'm such a phony and it gets dangerous. Listen. No, you don't deserve God's love. 
You know, you, nobody does. Nobody deserves it. Get over yourself. Get over that. Just bask in His love. You don't understand it? Too bad. Just receive it. Accept it. Live in it. Bask in it. I urge you this morning. Experience His grace and His, His mercies every single day because He loves you. End of story. But Jesus, you know that I love you. But God, you know how much, and you know I, I'm probably going to do it again tomorrow, and I'll love you tomorrow, and the week after that, I'll love you forever, and I'm always here. But every time I go to church, I feel so, I feel like a hypocrite, and <laughs> you are. <laughs> Maybe you are. Maybe you're not, but I still love you. And stop calling yourself that, by the way, because you are my creation, and I value you. More than anybody, more than anybody could value. He loves you. Get over yourself. This wraps up our I Believe series. This is it. The Apostles' Creed reads like a faith statement. It was intended for that purpose, but it's also a prayer because it ends with Amen. It's also a prayer, a prayer that helps us and should help us deepen our faith in and our commitment to the God whose greatness we consider throughout the entire Apostles' Creed. And the, the God whose greatness we should consider and, 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 and live out, whose love we should live out in our daily walks. Last thing I'll say, the truth of the gospel is, is simple. Enjoy it. God bless you.